You're listening to the Truth in Boots podcast. Join me as we search the Bible for truth about our God, for hope to encourage us through hard trials and struggles, and for answers for anyone who questions our faith. The truth of God's Word is not fragile, impractical, and only used on special occasions like a pair of stiletto heels. God's Word, like a pair of sturdy boots, is meant to be put to work daily and is designed to protect us and help us through the mud, streams, and rocks of life. Welcome back. We are in the middle of a study on the book of Deuteronomy. This is going to be part three in a four-part series. And so far, we've taken a look at the setting of Deuteronomy, the background, and the fact that Moses is about to die and send the people of Israel off into the promised land. And so this book is basically his final sermon, his final chance to communicate to his people. And what does he choose to communicate? Um, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Now, this is Moses' thesis, and this thesis has four, five parts. First, he just says, listen. Now, last week we covered that point, and learn that listen has the implication of listening for understanding, for retention. So think of the New Testament, be not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word. And all throughout the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is constantly saying, remember, don't forget, listen. So he is very concerned that Israel retains something, some piece of information. And that piece, that that information is that he wants them to remember God's commandments. He wants them to remember the motivation to keeping those commandments. He wants them to remember who God is and what he's done for them. And finally, he wants them to remember so that they can trust God to give them the land. So today we're going to be taking a look at the second and third points to remember the commandments and the motivation behind keeping them. Moses, right after his thesis, goes into a very important um, preface to all the list of commandments that he leaves later in the chapter that he reminds them of. Chapter 4, verse 2, he says, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you. So Moses knows our human hearts. He knows that just like Eve in the Garden of Eden, we change what God says. Eve said slightly something slightly different than what God commanded her. And that is how one thing that the devil used to get her to sin. So Moses wants to make sure that we don't change anything that God says, that Israelites didn't change anything that God commanded them. Not adding to them, not taking away from them, no slight alterations. Now you all know that they added additional rules. Think of the Pharisees and everything they were um, commanding and expecting people to do when Jesus came on the scene in the Gospels. They um, 
assume they said that the disciples were sinning on the Sabbath by walking through a field and plucking off kernels of um, grain to eat. God never said, don't walk through a field on the Sabbath day and put food in your mouth. Now, the Pharisees added a layer of, okay, if you're harvesting, if you're plucking even one grain on the Sabbath, that means you're harvesting, and that means you're working, and that means you're breaking the Sabbath. God says, no, don't, don't add anything like that. Now, you may be like, okay, we're not the Pharisees today. We don't have all this extra tradition that we're keeping. But you might be surprised where this crops up. Some things are as simple as, oh, we don't do communion that way at church or our church. Or, oh, that's weird the way you take offering. We get so entrenched in our traditional way of doing things that we kind of bring that to the level of Bible truth sometimes. There is a only certain way to take offering. There's only a certain way to do communion. Um, so beware of things like that. Or what about, let dare I say this, certain personal standards. Now, some of the older generation, um, I'm thinking probably 70, 80, 90-year-olds year old, at this point, had ingrained into their minds, don't go to the movie theater. I mean, you may be like, I never heard that before. Well, think about it from their perspective. 90-year-olds would have had parents that lived in the 20s and 30s, and they would have grown up in that time period. So back then, Hollywood didn't have any standard setters. The industry could do basically whatever they want and put whatever they want into their movies. So yes, you have Charlie Chaplin and the cute things that he did and the awesome funny things that he did, but you also got some other pretty racy stuff. Now I just did a quick look in Wikipedia on what was going on before the movie rating system came in, or not the system, the movie rating system didn't come into the 60s, but there was a standard setting board that I believe came in early 30s, late 20s, can't exactly remember. But before then, I mean, the movies could get really, really racy and disgusting, and the content is something that any decent Christian would not want to go see. Um, there's a well-known movie called Metropolis amongst movie aficionados. I've only know it because I've seen it on lists of like top 100 movies that you should see in your lifetime. But from what I know on that, it's groundbreaking because of some of the content that they put in it and some of the issues that they dealt with it, including some pretty racy pictures of women and I can completely understand why a 90 year old lady these days would still be staunchly saying do not go to the movie theater it is totally sinful that's what she was dealing with she didn't know what would be in front of her eyes when she stepped into that um room and sat in that seat so she set for herself a standard I'm not going in there it is very sinful to go in there because you don't know what's going to happen in there. Um, now, I totally respect that standard. 
And these days we know that there's a difference between going to the theater and seeing Finding Nemo versus going to the theater and seeing The Expendables or, um, you know, some other action-packed, language-packed movie. But we need to respect her position and just realize it's not Bible truth. And things like that aren't Bible truth. There's a good reason probably why she has that conviction. But it doesn't hold up to the same standard of thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not go to the movie theater is not a Bible command. It is a personal standard, a personal preference. Just not something that you can enforce. Uh, Enforce is the wrong word. Try to impose and expect other Christians to do. So don't add to the commandments and don't remove any of the commandments. And we're talking about, oh, I am perfectly justified in being angry at my brother because he did this. Um, my friend did this to me and they're no longer my friend. And I am perfectly justified to be bitter against that person for the rest of my life. I mean, if this relationship is going to mend, it has to be that person that builds this gap. I did nothing wrong here. No, Jesus said, do, if you are angry or hate your brother, that is the same thing as murdering them. You can't pick and choose which standards to live by, which commandments to live by. God says clearly, um, be angry and sin not. And that means you're not being angry for selfish reasons. You're not supposed to hate your brother, Jesus says, because that is basically murdering them. So we have to take the Bible at its face value, not twisting anything, not justifying ourselves and what we want to obey and what we don't want to obey. We need to accept God's word for what it is. Now, Moses does explain the reasoning behind some of his commandments. So often these days we say, I don't understand why God's asking me to do this, so why should I do it? Um, Moses doesn't give the reason behind every single commandment, but he does a lot of them. Look in chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Therefore watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, Beware, lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of any male or female. You're not supposed to make an idol because you didn't see what God was like. There's a reason. Uh, Chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. Moses is rehashing the commandments again, and here he says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Um, Keep going down. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Elsewhere, I believe also, I think it's back in Exodus, there is a reason given there that God worked six days to create the world and then he rested. So there's yet another reason. Um, Going further on into the book, chapter 14, verses 1 through 2, 
You are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves or make any baldness on your foreheads for the for the dead. That's um, one of the practices done back in the time here of the Exodus. That was a, what a lot of the nations did to mourn, shave their heads. Um, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. That is why God doesn't want them to mutilate their bodies. Uh, one more, chapter 24 and verse 19. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. Okay, that's really weird. I mean, it's very reasonable. You want to be a good steward, right? Pick up everything from your field. That is totally weird that God's going to command me to do that. So why should I obey him? Well, this is one time that he explains, It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand. You're supposed to leave some food there so that the poor, the traveling, and the helpless can actually eat. We don't always get an answer why God commands us to do something. But you can be very sure that he has a good reason for every single command he gives you. Um, God did not give these commandments on a whim. He gave them for our good. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 24 says, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are today. So Moses tells Israel, you're supposed to obey these commands because the Lord has our best interest at heart. He wants to preserve you alive. So that's why he says things like, do not murder. Um, He gives standards for the justice system. Um, Thou shalt not covet, you know, thou shalt not lie. But it's not just an exclusive principle to the Israelites. In the New Testament, we um, see further explained why God gave these commandments. It's not a whim, and it's not just exclusively for the Israelites. Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. What shall we say then? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law... I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. So, without the commandments God gave us, we wouldn't know what a sin was. I mean, you have to have a standard in order to have a deviation from the standard. And it's only when we realize that there is a standard and that we fall short that we can realize we are sinners. Romans 8 verse 1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for our sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according to the flesh walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So it's when we realize our sin and realize that God can't overlook our sin, that we realize we need Christ as our savior. God sent the law, not on a whim. He sent it 
for our good. And then finally, keeping the commandments are our appropriate response to who God is. It's our appropriate response. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 17. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord you belong, behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring. Further down in the passage, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. And it continues on to describe and extol the awesome attributes of God and his amazing love for the people. It's what is only natural, keeping the commandments because God is God. So if you need any more motivation than that, or if the Israelites needed any more motivation than that, Moses doesn't stop there. He goes on to give a lot of blessings and a lot of curses because he knows we're human. I mean, we're not going to really do anything in our own flesh unless there's something in it for us. So in chapter 28, he starts listing a whole bunch of great things that are the Israelites if they actually do obey. If you faithfully obey the, uh, the voice of the Lord your God, um, he will set you high above all the nations on the earth and all these blessings shall come upon you. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, your ground, your cattle, the increase of your herds, your young flock, your basket, your kneading bowl. When you come in, when you go out, um, your enemies will defeated, be defeated. And, the, and he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. He will establish you as a holy people to himself. He will make you abound in prosperity. He'll make you pretty awesome, pretty formidable. Nothing can overtake you. You'll have a lot of children, a lot of crops, a lot of flocks. Um, no enemies can stand up against you. And if that's not enough of a motivation, over in chapter 30, Moses says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days. Okay, God is yours. He is your life and length of days. How much greater blessing can you get? We also have a promise as New Testament believers. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. God is our life. God is our hope. He gives us blessings innumerable. Just look throughout the New Testament of things that you have in Christ. An inheritance, a position in front of God, life eternal, 
um, love, joy. I mean, living life with joy and hope. You're not in despair anymore. But we don't respond always to these blessings. It's not enough for us because we are so sinful. And Moses recognizes and anticipates this. So he also gives curses coming. I mean, we don't always respond to, okay, I'll give you a million dollars if you never drive a car for the rest of your life. Some might be motivated by that. Some might need a bit more push if they're going to do that. Um, which I'm not sure why someone would want to give that up unless they live in the city, but that's a side point. First thing that popped into my head. Uh, something a lot more makes a lot more sense. I will never drink milk for the rest of my life if you give me a million dollars. That's just bizarre, though. Okay, back to the text. Um, the curses. Moses knows that sometimes the carrot isn't enough. You have to have the stick. So in chapter 28, verse 15, he starts the curses. But if you don't obey... All these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. You should be cursed in the city, in the field. Your curse shall be your basket, your kneading bowl, the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herd, the end of the flock. When you come in, when you go out, you will be destroyed and perish quickly. Um, there will be pestilence, wasting disease, fever, inflammation, fiery heat, drought. Blight, mildew, the heavens over your head shall be bronze, and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder. You shall be defeated before your enemies. You shall flee seven ways, a horror. Um, your dead body will be for the birds. There will be, uh, and the Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt. I mean, this is pretty bad. You won't prosper in your children, in your crops, in your health. You'll be defeated in battles. God's going to start striking you with the plagues of Egypt. You'll be oppressed by every single nation. And then finally, towards the end of the chapter, verse 64, The Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. Okay, if you were so adamant, Israel, about not obeying me, then you don't get this land, and then you have to go serve another god. That's it. If you don't want to serve me, then you will go serve another god outside of my land. However... There is one final blow. It's not just, okay, serve me and you'll get blessings. But if you don't serve me, you'll get curses. God tells them, um, you will not serve me. He tells them when all these things come to pass, not if, but when all these curses come to pass, the blessings, the curses, which I have said before you, when you call to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you and you return to the Lord your God. So let me stop there before I get ahead of myself. God's telling them right now, before they even set foot into the promised land, you will be kicked out. You will be scattered once again amongst the nations. You will be sent into ca captivity. Upfront with you, that is going to happen. You're going to disobey me and be punished. So that's pretty disheartening. Why would I want to go in here in the first place? If I know my end, why would I want to even try to serve you, God? Well, 
our God is not only just, he is also merciful. He is also loving. He is faithful. So he starts chapter 30 with, okay, when all these things come to pass and you're scattered and you choose to return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice with all your heart and all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If you are outcasts in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you. And from there he will take you. And he will bring you into the land. God is merciful. He knows his people will sin. But he wants to forgive them. So he says, if you someday actually do return to me with your hearts and with your souls and say, we, we were wrong, God forgive us, we want to obey and serve you now, God will go out of his way, not really out of his way, that's the wrong statement. God will go to any lengths to bring them back to what he had promised them. He is so merciful. And even then, he says, he will give them all the blessings once again and make them prosper. So application for us as New Testament believers, the countless times in the New Testament that God says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Anything you ask of God, he will give you. Knock, seek, you will find. The door will be open to you. God wants to forgive us. So if you currently are away from God, or there is something in your life that you are holding back from him that you're like, oh, I've done this so many times. God can never forgive me for this again. Don't undermine and minimize your God. He is the owner of heaven and earth. He created everything. He rules your life. He gave his own son because he loved you. He is willing to forgive you any number of times you ask him. All he asks is that you ask for his forgiveness, that you humble yourself, that you repent, and he is very willing to open his arms and give you that love and forgiveness. Next week, come back, and we have the final chapter in this series on Deuteronomy.